In a world revolving around a so-called new normal, millions of people are left with millions of questions. However, when it comes down to football, look no farther. Today, we get an insider perspective on the NFL draft, free agency, and the 2020 season operations. It's all right here on Beyond the Blitz. Good morning, afternoon, or evening, ladies and gentlemen. Blitz crew back at it as always. Brandon Wells, Justin Rogers, and very special guest today is the senior writer and editor for the Tennessee Titans, Jim Wyatt. How you doing, man? I'm doing great. Hope you guys are doing well today. Absolutely. It's a pleasure to have you on the show. So you've been working with the Titans for over 20 years now. How has this experience been for you so far? Yeah, it's been fun. It's crazy how much time has spent by. I have worked covering the Titans since the 1999 season, I did it uh, for the newspaper in town, the Nashville, Tennessean, from 99 to 2014, 16 years. And uh, those, those years flew by. I started off the first uh, season covering the NFL, covering the Titans. The team went to the Super Bowl that year and went to the AFC Championship game two times in uh, five years. You know, went to the playoffs four times in five years. And it certainly – uh, you know, it was neat to see the city embrace the team. And I loved cover them, covering the team for the Tennessee for all those years. I made a career change in 2015 when I uh, left the paper to, to work for the team. Uh, and now the website is TennesseeTitans.com. It was formerly Titans Online. We just switched within the last week or so. And uh, it's been fun doing it that way, too. It's different. It's, you, you have to look at things a little bit differently when you're working from the team. And obviously some things you you can write about and report on um, as a newspaper writer that you can't do when you're working uh, for the team. But but it also certainly has plenty of advantages as well. And uh, so it's been it was a good change for me at this point in my career and uh, and, um, you know, doing it in my hometown, which makes it even better. You were telling us earlier when we were on the phone talking before the show that you have worked 20. What was it? 21 Super Bowls. That is correct. Yeah, I actually went to a Super Bowl uh, as a fan, uh, you know, growing up, I was a fan of the Buffalo Bills, uh, you know, which is crazy to think a guy, a kid growing up in Nashville would be a Bills fan. But I loved Simpson uh, from the time I was a little kid and, and watching him in the 70s and seeing him go over 2,000 yards in 73 when I was just six years old. Uh, kind of my team all the way through. I had, a, I had a friend of our families that was an equipment manager for uh the new york jets and he's a friend of my dad's and he used to get me you know oj you know stuff and and buffalo bills souvenirs so that was my team so i drove to atlanta uh in 1994 uh to watch the bills play the cowboys that was the buffalo's fourth uh super bowl in a row and they obviously lost for mm, the fourth year yeah. in a row but uh, I went down there by myself and saw that game. And, and at that time, I thought, you know, I didn't think about it much, but it could have very well been my only Super Bowl. I never thought Nashville would have a team and never thought I'd be covering uh, the team for the Nashville newspaper. But I uh, got some breaks and worked at it and got myself in a position where I got an opportunity to start covering the Titans and uh, cover my first Super Bowl for the Tennessean uh, you know, for the in the nineteen ninety nine season when the Titans went and played the Rams, and I've been to every Super Bowl since, uh, doing it. You know, for the newspaper, and then once I started working for the Titans, uh, continued to cover the Super Bowl uh, on a yearly basis because it's not just the game. I mean, it's 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 the build up to the game, and you talk to you know players and and analysts and people from across the league where you can get so much content during Super Bowl week. And then a lot of times, you know, if you're a Titans reporter, you, you can find connections in the game that, uh, that you can write about. So it's, um, it's, I've been, it's been a privilege to be able to do 21 Super Bowls in a row. And uh, when I go, I've tried to make sure I find, have plenty to write about because I realize it's, um, you know, you got to prove to your employers that it's worth going. So I, I usually go above and beyond trying to find a lot of stuff to write about, especially as it pertains to the Titans. I just got to ask off this question. Uh, what's, what's the most entertaining Super Bowl you ever had to write about? 
I mean, there have been so many. I mean, his first couple of years, I mean, covering like the Titans right out of the gate, the first one I went to as a reporter, that was a great game that came down the very end. The Titans came up one yard short. And I mean, there was a stretch, uh, I guess, in the in the 90s. And, um, you know, and there have been some other Super Bowls that have been duds. But I have been fortunate enough to see some great games. And, uh, you know, the the – game where Malcolm Butler, who's now with the Titans, intercepted a pass right at the goal line as the you know, as the Patriots beat the Seahawks. That Super Bowl was a fantastic finish. The Super Bowl where the Patriots were down twenty eight to three to the Falcons and came back in that game. That was a, a a very memorable Super Bowl. There was a you know a game the Steelers and the Cardinals played that came down the end. There was a Super yeah. Bowl Giants upset the the Patriots when they were undefeated. I mean, there are so many, been so many great games uh, over the years. It's, it's hard to name one because uh, you know there've been some been some great ones. Well, it sounds like the Titans are really lucky to have you. It sounds like you've been doing some good stuff. And we're going to move on to our first segment of the day. As always, we have our league headliners, where we run through some of the most notable things going on around the league today. With the COVID-19 pandemic affecting every walk of life, football has been one of the few solaces for people to follow, and we're certainly all excited to see how the rest of the offseason unfolds. Last week, it was reported that the Kansas City Chiefs flirted with a strikingly dangerous and disastrous cap space for a few days of only $177. Yes, you heard that right, $177. Their solution? Reworking wide receiver Sammy Watkins' contract, which freed up $5 million in cap space. Are they making this move so they don't have to order McDonald's as a pregame meal? Or are they eyeballing something larger, like perhaps a long-term deal with Patrick Mahomes? Well, it's going to take a lot more money than that to get Mahomes under contract. They got some more. They better start reworking a lot of deals uh, if they're going to get it done. Yeah, the reality is they'll have to have a rookie pool to be able to sign their draft picks and undrafted free agents as well. So, you know, I, I'll be curious to see just what they do moving forward. Mahomes eventually is going to get a blockbuster deal and he's going to be the highest paid quarterback in the NFL once that happens. But uh, in the meantime, I think they're just trying to create some space to get uh, some rookies under contract and see, and we'll see what else happens if they are potentially eyeing some other free agents out there as well. Yeah, with Patrick Mahomes, it's easy to see why he's going to be the highest paid quarterback in the NFL after this year. And they couldn't really do anything this year. I mean, $177, that's not a lot of money. So it's going to be interesting to see what else the Chiefs might do to clear up some cap space. And like you said, Jim, have some space to get some of those rookies signed that they will get in the first round and beyond in the draft. Yeah, and but the good thing for them is they're in a position coming off a Super Bowl win where uh, you know, fans are gonna have some patience with them, even if they if they don't make huge splashes in in free agency this off season, which they have done some work, but obviously still some work to do building up for the 2020 season. But uh, you know, they've got to figure out a way to keep Mahomes, and they will. I mean, there's no way they're letting him get out of there. He's a fantastic quarterback. Uh, you know, saw him beat the Titans in the AFC Championship game in Kansas City and obviously saw him lead a comeback against, uh, you know, in the, in the Super Bowl, you know, against the 49ers, you know, on the heels of coming back against the Titans and on the heels of coming back against the Texans. So he's a marvelous talent and uh, just a matter of time before he gets locked up for a long-term deal. This past week also saw a lot of sad things coming out and affecting Canton Hall of Fame. NFL record holder for the longest field goal for over 43 years, Tom Dempsey passed away at the age of 73 due to COVID concerns. He played for the Saints, Eagles, Rams, Oilers, and Bills. You know, in his time when he was playing, when you had that one step and kick and then to make a 60-plus yard of field goal, in today's NFL, that would translate to just shattering, earth-shattering numbers. We can't overlook the career that Dempsey had and the impact he had on the kicking game in football. And it's just really sad news. Uh, And it makes us realize that the coronavirus is affecting more than just the NFL offseason. I mean, what kind of effect does it have on families of the players, personnel, staff? Well, it's, I mean, it's affecting really everyone across the world. NFL, you know, in, in some ways has been affected 
the you know the least of all the major franchises. I mean, right now we're uh, you know we're waiting for that major league baseball season to start. If it does end up starting, I'm hoping it does. With the NBA season has been put on pause. Same with you know the NHL. Uh, you know, soccer. You name it, everybody's affected. I mean, we, we saw the March Madness canceled and, and all these spring sports canceled. really sad. I hate to see it. Uh, you know, the, the Titans and the rest of the NFL, yes, there have been adjustments. I mean, people inside organizations are not allowed inside the building. Uh, I know at our place, it's you're not inside, going to be allowed inside the building here for another couple of weeks. And, and the draft's going to be in, impacted. It's not going to be in Las Vegas. It's going to be a virtual draft uh, that's going to be different. And, um, you know, it's affecting employees. It's affecting employees' families who, uh, who are certainly now dealing with their, uh, you know, with their husbands and wives working from home now instead of going to the office. And it's been a lifestyle adjustment for everybody. But I think everybody's kind of got the big picture in mind and realizing, hey, we need to be patient. If we have to adjust things from a work standpoint, from a life standpoint, you just have to do it with the hope that things will improve and uh, and life will return as we all know it in the not so distant future. In the meantime, you just got to pray for the families that are affected by this and have lost loved ones and and are having people that are in intensive care and are fighting for their lives you know without family members able to be there for them it's a it's a scary time and uh it's certainly more important than anything that's going on as far as as the sports world goes we'll absolutely those uh moments again at some point but right now obviously the most important thing is just to try to get this under control with uh, with the thought that, you know, you just don't know what's going to happen if this thing circles back around again in the fall. Uh, hopefully it doesn't end up being a seasonal flu type of thing, but hopefully our great scientists here in America and across the globe can figure out a solution. But Canton also saw the passing of a second Hall of Famer this past week in Cleveland running back Bobby Mitchell. It was not due to coronavirus, but it's just more sad news out of Canton. Moving on to other subjects, uh, NFL owners have officially approved a 14-team playoff format for the 2020 season that was proposed in the CBA a couple weeks ago. Is this the right decision coming out of the social distancing caused by the coronavirus, and how will this affect the way the teams have prepared for the season, if at all? And what are your thoughts on the CBA in general? Well, I like it. I mean, I, I know certainly there's, there's each side probably had different things in the CBA that they would have liked to have seen play out differently, but I thought both sides compromised and I thought both sides made it work. I'm, I'm excited about a 17 game schedule uh, for 2021. I'm excited uh, about, you know, 14 uh, team playoff uh, for this season. I mean, I think it creates more excitement, uh, you know, for, for teams in December as you try to secure a playoff spot, it keeps more teams alive and keeps more fan bases, you know, tuned in to what's going on. I like the fact that players got pay bumps and and, and the potential to make more money. I like the addition of uh, players on the practice squad, which gives more players an opportunity there. I mean, there there are a lot of positive positives, but I really like um, I really like the expanded playoffs. Uh, just because you know each year you know teams there's a team that gets edged out that you have to wonder how they would have done if they would have made it and they've lost on a tiebreaker I and mean, it's happened to the titans before you know uh, they they lost to tiebreakers a nine and seven team this year the titans made it as a nine and seven team and they went to the afc championship game just to you know, really just a good half of football for making it to the Super Bowl. So uh, I like teams having an opportunity. Sure, there are going to be some seasons where an eight and, t- eight and nine team make it moving forward or um, the team that probably didn't deserve to get in uh, makes it. But um, I still like it because it will give teams hope, more teams hope uh, as you go into December. Yeah. Well, I mean, due to this CBA, I mean, one thing that we need to think about too is the NFL record books and history. I mean, we may be having a seventh seed. Obviously, it's happening for the first time this year, but 
for, for the first time ever go and win a Super Bowl. I mean, we see the NFL record books the past couple of days going around seeing the Packers and the Steelers as the only two six seeds. And now there's a new record that could possibly be broken for the first time, having a seventh seed win the Super Bowl for the first time. And then we're thinking about, you know, all these quarterbacks getting 5,000 yards. And now we're going to see even more quarterbacks get 5,000 yards because the extra game that's going to be added in the next couple of years. And then thinking about now, you're probably going to be seeing from this rookie draft class, um, the three or four quarterbacks that will go in it. We might be seeing two or three of them go in the playoffs because of this seventh seed. And we really need to think about that when we look back at this in 10 years and look at some of these young players and how they performed matching up to some of the greats like Tom Brady. If you play 16 seasons now with the 17 team aspect, you're basically getting a whole extra season added on to your records, which puts you ahead of everyone that you played against in the past, such as the Tom Brady, Drew Brees esque players. We cannot think that these young players who may be breaking these records are as good as some of these numbers say, because these old players, they didn't have as many games to play with. Yeah, I mentioned O.J. Simpson at the start of this, and I've seen him go over 2,000 yards. He ran for 2,003 yards in 1973. Uh, that was in a 14-game season. And you know, I saw Chris Johnson go for 2,006 yards, but that was in a 16-game season. Yeah. And now you're going to have an extra game for players to get more rushing yards, you know, receiving yards, passing yards, you know, what used to be a great year, you know, in a 14-game season was for a running back to go over 1,000 yards. Well, is it as much of a of an accomplishment if you're getting 1,000 yards in a 17-game season? No. I mean, you do, do the math, and that's, you know, you're gonna, it's going to raise the bar maybe on what these numbers should look like. You know, Derek Henry went over 1,500 this year, which is a great accomplishment in a 16-game season. But you're going to see bigger rushing totals and you're going to see bigger numbers. They're going to shatter some records. And uh, and obviously there'll be an asterisk next to them because they were done in more games. But it's going to change the look of stats for sure. What I've also seen from Henry in his time playing is he's a back half of the season type of player. That's where he puts up all of his big numbers, and that's when he puts the team on his back and just does all of his best work. And now you put an extra game on top of that. I think this is going to benefit the Titans almost more than any other team in the league because of that powerhouse in Henry, who is a back half of the season type of player, who when he gets going, you cannot stop him. Yeah, but you, but you also got to keep in mind that you don't want to overwork him and don't want to wear him out. I mean, I, we've seen For so certain. many backs who have had the carries and the hits and that pounding take a toll and their careers end quicker because of it. I mean, I, I watched Eddie George here during his career. He had a fantastic career, but, you know, year seven, eight, you know, he started to hit a wall and – and a lot of backs are doing that now. So you're still going to have to be you know, smart in how you use these backs. And I think Derek Henry benefited maybe. He probably wouldn't, didn't like it at the time. But when he first came to the league, he was a backup behind DeMarco Murray. And he didn't get a lot of opportunities. And he was he had to wait his turn. And then when he finally got his turn, he's taken full advantage. He did, did finish 2018 strong. He had a tremendous 2019, and he was a workhorse down the stretch. And now, uh, you know, the Titans have got to figure out a way to continue to utilize him and uh, and get a lot of production from him. But I think it would be helpful for the Titans if they can find another running back this year, uh, either in the draft or pick somebody else up in free agency if they can't get the guy they want the draft, that kind of complements Henry better. I mean, De- Deion Lewis wasn't much of a factor this past season, and the Titans are going to need to change the pace back to, to give Henry a little bit more breathing, breathe, give him some more breathers during the course of a game where they're just not you know, r- having him wear down too soon. Yeah, definitely. Next headliner, the NFL is going to simulcast a wild card game in the 2020-2021 playoffs on Nickelodeon. They are going to make the broadcast more kid-oriented. This brings up the question, is there a market for the NFL to explore with having a wider kid audience? Uh, and this will this be beneficial to air NFL games on kids' networks? And could this potentially bring a wider audience of younger children growing up and loving the sport because they got to watch it as a kid? 
Well, I think so. I mean, I think, you know, I think I'm all for it. I mean, I think any way you can promote the game and get people involved in an early age. I mean, I've certainly very aware of young fans following the NFL and the more you can get, you know, youngsters, whether boys or girls interested in the league, I think you got to try to do it. You know, there's a young man, uh, in town who does a podcast uh, his name's uh, Cason Romero and I think he's uh, maybe he's a fourth or fifth I think he's a fifth grader that does his own podcast and oh wow and, uh, so I mean he's he's knows exactly what's going on across the league and with the Titans and and uh, the more you can find tap into the youth and get them involved in football, the more it's going to help build the brand and get kids, you know, urging their parents to take them to the games and, or take them to NFL functions. So I I think it's a positive. Well, podcaster to podcaster, I salute that young kid getting it going at such an early age. Our final headliner, President Donald Trump, had a phone call this past week with the commissioners for each major sport league. In it, he stated that the NFL season should start on time. But will the NFL season actually start on time? And what factors go into making the decision whether or not the season should start in September or later? Or from a writer's standpoint, what is your take point on this? Well, I hope it does. I mean, it's hard to know, you know, sitting here on, uh, you know, first week in April, second week going second week in April, uh, exactly what's going to happen with the virus. I mean, uh, I hope that we're at a point in August or September that it's safer and that uh, to gather in larger groups without concern. But um, I think I'd have to be uh, you know, somewhat uh, naive if I didn't think that what the scientists are saying and what other people who would know a lot more about medicine uh, than I do, um, they're saying there's a chance that this could come back. And if it's not safe until there's a vaccine, then you've got to take that into consideration. I, mean, I, I do think the numbers appear to be getting better across the country, especially in some of the spots that have been affected the most. But I know we're not out of the woods yet. Uh, I'm hoping in a month or so, things are going to look even better that will provide even more hope. But uh, for now, you know, I, I hear stories about major league baseball potentially coming back and playing without fans. And I hear stories um, about other leagues that are considering other options without fans. I mean, you, you hear the rumors about, you know, potentially having some of these leagues just go ahead and cancel their seasons. But I think what makes me optimistic is seeing some of these big events, whether it's horse racing or whether it's golf or, uh, you know, whether it's other events that are being added back to the calendar for the fall, which tells me and and includes concerts that I've seen that have been rescheduled for late summer and early fall that, you know, they're getting advice from people that, hey, it may be safe at that point. So I hope it's we're at a good, better place. Uh, where that can happen. I certainly hope that the league is able to start on time with fans in the stands. But um, if you have to delay it, uh, you know, I'm okay with that too. I, I just think it's a situation, though, that nobody really knows sitting here on April the 8th how this is going to play out. It all matters how safe people are. And, I mean, that's everyone's number one priority. But I, I really hope that they don't have to play without fans. That, that's just heartbreaking to see players playing at these stands. It changes the atmosphere of the game. It could even change the outcome, too, because some of these teams, they rely on this home field advantage. Oh, it would be a completely different game without fans in it. I mean, there's just the hype that goes into it. I and mean, especially, I mean, it's NFL, that's college. I can't imagine watching a college football game and, uh, and not seeing – you know, game day where the kids show up and, and uh, you know, hours before the games and are rooting on their teams and just seeing the excitement in the stands. I mean, that's that's kind of what it's all about. I've got, I have a daughter that goes to the University of Alabama. Uh, I know what that's like on college football Saturdays and just, you know, see, seeing the excitement on campus. I'm, I, I go to a lot of college games. Um, I have a Vanderbilt season ticket holders and – 
season ticket holder. And one of my favorite things to do is to go out there on a Saturday and watch football and tailgate. And uh, I love, you know, going to NFL games that are packed with fans, you know, anticipating the game and then knowing they're going to have an impact on the game. So it would not be the same if fans are not uh, in the stands and hopefully that will happen. I mean, it's eventually going to happen, but do we need a vaccine first? I mean, again, that's, that's going to be for someone a lot smarter than I am to decide. Yeah, that's a definitely a good point. I mean, for me and Brandon, two seniors in college, I mean, we don't know what's going to happen with our graduation as well. So you got to be thinking about like all of the, like you said, like the fans, but also the people who, you know, going back to jobs and also like going back to graduations. Um, so yeah, definitely just keeping that in mind as well, that again, like we've been saying, this is bigger than sports, uh, but as a sports fan, hoping that it comes back uh, sooner rather than later. But so many people are affected too. I mean, not, not only just the fans, but just, just the people that work, you know, at the stadium, whether it's in concessions or or people that are, you know, working in the, you know, in the lots, in the parking lots, and that are employed, uh, you know, by the teams. I mean, just, you know, the vendors, and you know, there's so much, and obviously travel, you know, for people to get to in games, and we need the hotel industry to take back off. So, I mean, if you if you have sports and it's open to fans, a lot of things start to come back to life in this country, and so you got to keep in mind from a health standpoint, how dangerous it is. Also a balance you got to find and, you know, we need to kind of jumpstart the country and need to get some things moving again where uh, the economy will do better. So it, it's a tough balance that, uh, that people have to make some tough decisions over. Yeah. And speaking of some of the sports, the lifeblood of the sports industry right now has been NFL free agency and teams have been working for the past three weeks to sign and trade for players that will inch them closer to Super Bowl 55. And last year we saw the Chiefs win it all last season after losing to the New England Patriots. And the Patriots ended up going and winning the Super Bowl. And that was after they signed Brashad Breland, Tyron Matthew. They traded D Ford away and got Frank Clark. And now we see the Tennessee Titans in the same kind of situation, losing to the Chiefs who ended up going to the Super Bowl. And we see them signing a couple of players uh, and now let's just take an in-depth look at what it will look like for the Tennessee Titans this offseason. So the first thing we want to go over is Jarrell Casey. Uh, Jarrell Casey was traded for our 2027th round pick to the Denver Broncos. So how do the Titans plan to fill up the hole that Jarrell Casey will leave in the defense? And why did they trade him for so little? Well, he can be hard to replace. I mean, it's going to take a number of guys. I think you have to look back at last year's draft to look at one of the guys who's going to replace him. That's Jeffrey Simmons, who was the 19th overall pick out of Mississippi State, who I thought played really well in the second half of last season after you know being after dealing with an injury he suffered last February. So partly having him uh, in the building and having him in the plan made that decision uh, a little bit more understandable, but you also got to add more pieces to it. I mean, uh, the team signed Jack Crawford, former with the Falcons. He's a defensive lineman that's going to be in the rotation. They've got some other guys that will compete, but I think that's a position that could be addressed and will be addressed in the draft and, and potentially more guys added in free agency. Daquan Jones, a big defensive lineman who's been very valuable. So the cover is not completely bare on – the D line, but more help definitely needed. And, um, you know, with Casey, I mean, you know, five time pro bowler should have been to seven, you know, he turned down a couple of chances to go early in his career because he was chosen as an alternate and not voted in. And at first he thought he wouldn't go unless he was voted in. And then I think he realized, Hey, I, I can't miss out on these opportunities, but he was a great pro, great guy in the community, the two time, Walter Payton Man of the Year Award winner for the Titans. You know, nothing that he did here that led to him being traded. But I think, you know, in the NFL, you've got to make tough business decisions. And he had a cap pit coming up of around $13 million for next year. He's coming off a season when he missed a couple of games because of an injury. Uh, I think you've got to project what a player is going to do moving forward. 
And um, I think that's why the decision was made uh, to kind of part ways with him and go in a different direction. It's not that the Titans felt like a seventh round pick was fair compensation for Jarrell Casey. Like, you know, they thought that they were, that was a fair deal. It was a lot, that move was made in large part because of his salary. And again, projecting what you think he's going to do moving forward and whether he's worth that number. And, um, and I just don't think people who made that decision felt like that was going to be the case. Um, a lot of times when teams know you're shopping a player or, or know you're going to trade them, you're not gonna you're not gonna get anything for him. I mean, you have to end up releasing him. That's what happened with Todd Gurley with the Rams. He he got released and and did and the Rams didn't get anything for him. And then the Falcons end up signing him to a one year deal. So that's just the way it happens. I, mean, I, I think again, that was a big salary that the Broncos took on. They were willing to do it. And um, and in some ways, Titans probably forced to get a seventh round pick because again, a lot of times when you're shopping a guy and teams know you're going to part ways with them, you know, you don't get anything for them. Well, let's pick up by Denver's honestly one of my favorites of the offseason so far. He is going to anchor this defensive line that, quite frankly, they need the support up there that they've been missing the last couple of seasons because they have a great defensive unit, but just something hasn't been clicking right. And Darrell Casey is the player that's going to switch this Denver team around on the defensive side of the ball. Well, I hope he does. I hope he has success. He's a great guy, you know. He and, and he had a couple of sacks in the playoff game against the Ravens. So I mean, it's not like he doesn't still have game. I mean, he, he's. I think he still got you know some snaps left in him, and I don't expect him to be motivated by being traded away. And uh, he'll have something to prove in Denver. So uh, I hope Jarrell does well. He's a great guy. And talking about the defensive line a little bit more, Vic Beasley, the 2016 sack king for the Atlanta Falcons, signed with the Tennessee Titans on a one-year deal, which in my opinion looks like more of a prove-it deal uh, for Vic Beasley and the Tennessee Titans. How do you think he'll fit into the Titans' defensive scheme? And do you think he'll return to the player he was in 2016? I think the team hopes so. I think I know Mike Vrabel said they think they can hone his skills and and get more production out of him than than what he did last year. And he has proven that when he's playing at a high level, he can be really effective and change games. So uh, I think he's a good fit. I, I think that's one thing. You know, with this with this coronavirus pandemic and it threatening off seasons, I think that's. Obviously, one unfortunate part of it is, you know, normally you'd be having a guy like Vic Beasley reporting to your team for the start of off-season workouts here in about another week week or so. And uh, I think that date was the 20th of April when guys were supposed to be uh, in the building for the first time. And you could work with him through OTAs and mini camps and kind of get him up to speed. If there's not an off-season program and there's not OTAs and a mini camp, you know, he's going to have to really – catch up and get caught up in a hurry. So um, you know, hopefully he'll have some time to get himself ready for the season. But, you know, he's a pro. He's been in the league for a while. He, he knows what it takes to get his body ready. And uh, Titans feel like he can be a difference maker this year. And the Titans having the eighth highest cap space in the NFL at $23 million. I mean, you have a lot of guys remaining in free agency like Jadavion Clowney, Cam Newton, Jameis Winston, David Harrison, Stephen Goskowski, Eli Apple, and Prince Amukamara and more. And even Jadavion Clowney, we heard today that it's most likely he's not going to come back to Seattle. And the Tennessee Titans were one of those teams that are on his radar. So what are some of the players that are currently available that are on the Titans radar? I mean, Clowney, we know for sure, just because, you know, the general manager, uh, John Robinson said last week on a conference call that they had expressed an interest in him and they've talked to his agent and, uh, and they're, you know, curious about his interest and how he is physically, um, I'm curious myself to see how that one plays out. I know fans here in Nashville are clamoring for a guy like that, but I can't help but wonder at, at what cost. I mean, Clowney initially started off, you know, wanting $20 million. I've heard now he's he's lowered that asking price to eight, 17 or $18 million a year. I think I'm skeptical about the chances of that happening here or anywhere else. So just what 
could that number drop to? Uh, that's probably going to go a long way in determining whether he ends up here or where he signs. So, I mean, he makes sense for him. You know, he played for Mike Vrabel in Houston. Uh, you know, he's a, he would fill a need here. Uh, he'd kind of be a, a game changer, and add him and Beasley both would be huge. But, uh, you know, I know some other teams are interested in him as well, and we'll just kind of see who steps up to the plate. As far as other guys in free agency, I know the other guy I'm really kind of keeping an eye on what happens with him is Logan Ryan, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, who has been really good here over the last three years. Uh, you know, he would lessen the need to get a cornerback in the draft if you pick them. But I still think that's an, an area that the Titans have to address in the draft moving forward because, you know, they've got some guys whose contracts will be up in the not-so-distant future. So cornerback uh, is going to be a position the team looks at in the draft. But uh, if they can somehow get Logan Ryan back here, you, you feel a lot better about things going into 2020. Logan Ryan's one of those players. I would be genuinely surprised if he signed anywhere except for Tennessee, just because he wears that Titans uniform very nicely. It'd be weird to kind of see him with anyone else. He just something about the Titans atmosphere just shouts Logan Ryan for me. Yeah, but I, I think pe- people in you know in the Boston area that saw him play in New England probably had a hard time seeing him go somewhere else after his contract expired, too, because he's a two. He was a two-time. Super Bowl winner and was a was a really good player under Coach Bill Belichick. So, you know, Logan Ryan signed a three year deal when he came here from New England. You know, he he has made good money. Uh, I think it's thirty million dollars over the last three years. You know, he played extremely well. You know, he was very productive. He was he's kind of been a a leader on the field and off the field as well. He's been a he's been a great uh, Titan uh, over the last three years, but I think he feels like you know this is a chance for him. He's not getting any younger to get one more big contract, and uh, you know we'll see what happens. We'll, we'll see you know what the money looks like there and what the Titans are willing to do. And um, I hope he's back because I like him. But um, but if if things don't work out, Titans are gonna have to figure out a way to to solidify that secondary that's going to be dealing with some changes with a new position coach and, and a new defensive coordinator, or at least a new guy calling plays. And uh, so a lot of moving parts on defense. I also bet it was hard for New England Patriots fans to see Tom Brady's last pass go for an interception by former Patriot Logan Ryan for a touchdown at the end of that game against the Patriots in the wild card. Yeah, it was a great play for Logan. And, uh, it, it pretty much was fitting that he ends up making that play. You know, a guy that was Tom Brady's teammate and and a guy who has been such a, a good player for the Titans this year. So uh, Titans would love, again, to have him back. But like, like Clowney, I mean, I, I, there's, there's finances involved when you make these type of decisions, and, and uh, we'll see how this one plays out. Yeah, it will be – Interesting. One more question that I have real quick. So one of the players that left from the Titans was quarterback Marcus Mariota. And I know a lot of people aren't really giving second thoughts to the Titans not re-signing him. But now you got to think who's going to back up Ryan Tannehill coming up because of his injury history. I mean, the only other quarterback on their roster right now is Logan Woodside, a former seventh round pick in 2018. So what do you think the Titans might be doing to get a backup quarterback for Tannehill? Well, Logan Woodside will have competition. I know Mike Vrabel has been very complimentary of him, and I thought when Logan played last year in the preseason, he played extremely well. He's worked hard. He was on injured reserve last year, uh, but he continued to work you know, to prepare himself, and I think he impressed everybody around him. But he hasn't played in an NFL regular season game, and uh, I think the Titans will pick someone. It's just a matter of whether it's a veteran and there's some guys out there or whether they draft somebody. And Maybe if they're on a guy in the draft and they don't get him, maybe you circle back and you sign a veteran at that point. But uh, at some point, they'll make a move and they'll need to get somebody that they can count on to step in and play well. Okay, that that's, was the biggest development of last season. When Marcus Mariota was unable to keep his job, they were able to turn to a guy in Ryan Tannehill who 
elevated the entire offense and really changed the course of the season. Uh, you hope you don't have to be in a position to do that again anytime soon because I think the Titans feel like Tannehill, they're in good hands with Tannehill, but you'd like to have somebody behind him that you can trust and count on if, if he gets knocked out of a game or knocked out of a couple of games, he can kind of keep the train moving. So somebody is going to be added. And um, number two quarterback spots always of great interest to fans. I know that. Last thing we want to talk about here today is something you all know you all love, and that's draft day. It's right around the corner. It'll be here before you know it. And Beyond the Blitz is comprised what we call the three P's of draft day, the process, the players, and the people. The process is something that is changing rapidly, and we still don't necessarily know how it's going to play out, but we want to get it from a writer's perspective here. And how is the draft day going to be covered, and how does this affect the way that office meetings are going to be done on draft day? I know Mike Garofalo, uh, NFL insider, quoted saying that there should be no technological issues come draft day, but you can't always necessarily control that, especially when everyone from all these different organizations are spread out so far. Yeah, I mean, it's a brand new world and uh, can be completely different than how it's been in years past. So uh, I don't know that you can just automatically um, assume that everything's going to go off without a hitch. Um, you, know, you know, this is not the way the draft is intended to go down. I mean, you, you're supposed to have general managers and scouts and coaches uh, when called upon in a war room and everybody together and now you're going to have GMs and and scouts and coaches scattered across cities, you know, trying to do this draft virtually. And, uh, you know, it seems to keep changing as we get closer to it. I know Adam Schefter had a, you know, a report today that, uh, that there are some GMs and some teams that are concerned about having IT guys come into their homes to – get them set up for the draft just because of concerns about the coronavirus. And I think probably some of the IT guys probably concerned about going to homes to do the work. So it's just uh, an unprecedented time. And, uh, you know, I would think, you know, in today's world with technology that we'll be at a point where things will go relatively smoothly, but I, I can't sit here and, and, and think that everything's going to be perfect and that you're not going to have some issues uh, when you're dealing with something for the first time and you're dealing with it in 32 different cities. I think it's really good to see the way that the community has come together like this. And the NFL has announced that during the three-day virtual draft, it's also going to double off as a fundraiser benefit for six different charities. You got the Red Cross, the CDC Foundation's All of Us Combat Coronavirus Campaign, Defeating America's COVID-19 Response Fund, Meal on Wheels COVID-19 Response Fund, the Salvation Army, and lastly, the United Way's COVID-19 Community Response and Recovery Fund. So it's good to see that throughout all of this, the NFL is still thinking about the rest of the world. They want everything to get back together, obviously, and to see them promoting these six charities are one of the most profitable businesses in the United States. So it's really good to see the community come together like this and all support each other. Yeah, no question. I mean, people need help. I mean, and, and people need support and I'm glad to see, you know, the league stepping up and I've seen a lot of great, uh, you know, great efforts made by people across the NFL and really across the world at a time when people need, uh, need a boost. So I'm, I'm, I'm glad to hear that development as well. Last year, the NFL draft was actually held in Tennessee. Uh, so what's the difference between being the home team from last year to being in your house this year? Well, it's, I mean, for, from a general manager standpoint and from a team standpoint, I mean, really uh, the difference is not necessarily that the draft was in Nashville, but the fact that it's going from your war room and your facility to your living room or your home office or your basement or wherever you work. Because reality is, you know, teams, official team officials, and that includes the Titans, don't actually attend the draft uh, you know they usually there's a couple of guys that represent the team the two people who go to the draft for the titans is joey barranco who is an assistant equipment manager for the team and then anthony pastrana who works in video he's the team's video director they're the guys that usually go to the draft and turn in the card 
after they've been relayed to information from general manager John Robinson. But, but, but as far as team officials, um, they, they don't actually attend the draft. So, the, uh, you know, it's a great event for fans and uh, the hype around the draft and the excitement of seeing people on the streets in the draft, it's going to be, I mean, it's going to be crazy to go from that and what happened in Nashville when 600,000 people were on the streets of Nashville to now, you know, having this thing be done completely different where the commit the players are not coming out and giving the commissioner a hug and the fans are going crazy. So that's going to, the setting and the, imagery from draft nights going to be completely different but as far as the draft itself uh, from a team standpoint you know the biggest change is going to be not necessarily having a live open draft uh, to what's happening this year it's going to be not being in your war room and then all of a sudden you're going to be back in your again in your living room your office your basement and doing it with everybody separated that's going to be completely different we talked about shaking the commissioner's hand for a lot of the players going in the first and even the second round uh let's transition here to what the players are going through right now uh ea sports is creating virtual moments of players walking across the stage and meeting roger goodell so how do players especially players that are going uh, in the first round how are they responding to this do you think and how do you think that it will affect the experience for them just being at home? Well, it's going to be different. I, I've just seen different reports. I don't think we've ever seen anything really solid on exactly what's going to happen, but I, I know I've read and seen that, um, you know, that they're going to have, you know, cameras set up in the you know in the houses of some of these top prospects. And once they're picked, you're going to be able to see where they're watching the draft and what the reaction is going to be. But again, in this time and age of social distancing, I mean, I've seen some of these draft parties that prospects have, and there are hundreds of people there, and they're jumping around and hugging and and uh, and enjoying the moment. You have to think even those things are going to be toned down a lot now. It's just not going to be like it's been in years past. So I've been to these drafts, um, and it's, it's cool when the prospects are there on site and they're in the green room and they get caught up on stage and, and they get to live – that whole week in the draft, you know, for a couple of days leading up in the draft city, that's a lot of fun, but it's going to be different uh, this year, obviously, because uh, it's, it's going to be a lot more toned down. And another question, uh, what did the draft process look like between the front office and players last year? And what could it look like this year? And what is it already looking like this year as we are a couple of weeks before the draft? Yeah, I mean, there's been, there hasn't been near the contact uh, with the draft prospects and the teams. Uh, you know, you can't ignore that. You know, scouts and the GMs and the personnel officials they they've been to watch these kids on tape and watch their college games. They got to talk to these guys at the Senior Bowl and at the Combine, but you know, other than maybe a handful of visits, pre-draft visits that players had with teams leading up to this lockdown of facilities, you're not going to have a lot of these pre-draft visits that you've had in years past. And you didn't have the pro days and you didn't have these private uh, workouts that teams had. So you just don't have the contact with these players uh, like you've had in, in previous years. So that's going to put, you know, a greater challenge on the GMs and the decision makers to get it right uh, because you're not dealing with the information that you have dealt with in previous years. Now with that all, with all that said, I mean, I, I personally think that, you know, play, I've seen a lot of guys who have, have shot up draft boards based on what they ran or, or maybe how they did at pro days. And I think I always think the thing you've got to emphasize the most and what means the most is what a guy's college tape looks like and what he did on Saturdays, in the fall mm-hmm. and I think teams are going and coaches and GMs again are going to have to lean on that more and less on some of the other stuff they they've learned along the way 
can find it. The last P of the draft is the people, the fans, the audience. And it's so hard to forget that the sporting world, it's it's in the entertainment industry. We do this for the fans. And, you know, every year we see hundreds of thousands of people show up to support their teams. And it kind of creates this competitive atmosphere. And this year, that's not going to be a thing, as we were saying earlier. Last year, viewership was at an all-time high, reaching an average of 6.1 million viewers at any given time across all networks. And this year, the estimates for those numbers are supposed to skyrocket. If I mean, for obvious reasons, there's nothing else on TV to watch. No sports. So people are thirsty for this. People are hungry. So that will be really good news for the NFL as well. But at the end of the day, if you could give one message to the fans of the Tennessee Titans right now to reassure them and to not worry and to just, you know, keep them at bay almost, what would you say to the fans of Tennessee? Well, I mean, I think fans are still, you know, hyped and fired up about what happened in 2019. I mean, this is a team that has finished nine and seven, four years in a row. This was the fourth year, nine and seven. And, and then for the Titans to take that next step uh, and, and to go to New England and win and in the Patriots season to go to Baltimore and knock off the number one seed. And all of a sudden you find yourself in the AFC championship game. I mean, the, I think the future is bright here in Tennessee, you know, re-signed Ryan Tannehill, who who led the way last year. You got Derrick Henry back under contract. A lot of key pieces return. Got good leadership, you know, with the owner and Amy Adams Strunk and the GM and John Robinson, the head coach and Mike Vrabel. I mean, the 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 future is bright here. Um, obviously, the team needs to continue to draft well and continue make good decisions in free agency, but. Um, I think people in Tennessee, you know, are excited about what's ahead. Now you just got to keep your fingers crossed and hope we're going to have a season and uh, and can build on what happened last year. Yes, sir. And it's going to be an interesting thing to see this develop. And and we thank you very much for coming out, Jim. That's all the time we have. We want to, I mean, significantly over time, but it doesn't matter. We got some good stuff from there. And it was always fun to sit down and talk with you. As always, Blitz crew, Brandon Wells, Justin Rogers. Our special guest today was Jim Wyatt. We thank you for coming out one more time. And you can find us on Twitter, Spotify, or Apple Podcasts. We are also currently working on making our website public. That should be coming any day now. So please look out for that announcement. And join us next week, same time. And you already know where it is. This has been Beyond the Blitz.